You are listening to Chaos on the Set, a chaotic TV and film review podcast. Two of your usual crew are here today. I'm Shruti. I'm Kate. I'm actually not exactly sure where Mike is this weekend. He logged past lives on Letterboxd, which means he must be in New York City because no way is past lives currently oh. showing in Syracuse. No, he- <laughs> Wait, you knew you didn't know he was in New York City. This oh, I got drinks with him on uh, Wednesday. Wow. Well, thanks for the invite. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Anyway, yeah, we have a flown out here. <laughs> we have a brilliant uh, shoe in, or uh, replacement guest for Mike. Uh, you've heard him before. On our second podcast ever, he came to break down the first season of The White Lotus with us. He also has recorded a podcast that the public has never heard because I lost all of the audio for our Succession podcast, but you heard him come back to review Succession, and now he's back to talk about 51st Dates. Colby, thank you for coming back and joining us. What's up, everybody? Uh, what was what was the adjective you used? Brilliant? Can I get more of those? Can you keep describing me? <laughs> you, yeah. I, I'll, uh, I'll uh, compliment you. I'll set a timer and send, compliment you every 10 minutes on this podcast. How does that sound? That's great. Okay, great. I'm actually not going to set a timer because you probably don't want to hear the duck quack sound, which is my timer alarm every 10 minutes on this podcast. So a gift to the listeners. You don't have to listen to the duck quack sound. Kate will soon have to start listening to that when she moves in with me. (laughs) Oh, no. If you were as cool as me, you would have your alarm set to elevate from Spider-Verse. Wait, is that your timer thing, though? My timer sound is a duck. It's my timer. It's my alarm. It's everything you can imagine, baby. That's a hell of a way to wake up. I know. I love it. Thank you, Colby. We did this on the Groundhog Day podcast. Kate said that she would want to wake up every single day to elevate. Don't you think that's too much? I still do. (laughs) Every day. In high school, my alarm to wake up was the Jurassic Park theme. That's pretty nice. Uh, that's good. That's nice. It's melodic, and then it pumps you up. Elevate is like, the you go from asleep to get out of my zone, like, immediately. <laughs> like, that's a lot to just wake up to. It's, it's fun. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's oh, a lot of energy. That's got to start a riot, but also oh, a very good true. song. <laughs> wow. I feel like I need to leave this podcast immediately. I got something about Into the Spider-Verse songs, my entire brand. <laughs> let's pivot to the movie we are covering so we all feel a little bit more stable in our discussion uh we're talking about 51st dates today a cable classic and actually this is the first time i watched the movie from start to finish which exposed a lot more flaws of the movie to me than i did when i just like enjoyed a couple scenes on cable but um what is your y'all's background with the movie and how'd you feel about it this watch around yeah i liked it fine i was not I'm not a rom-com person. I don't have anything against rom-coms. It's just not what I reach for when I'm, you know, finding something to watch. My wife is a big fan of Adam Sandler rom-coms. So she was happy to watch 51st States with me. And I thought that, I mean, it was, I'll say, a hint, a skosh above average. It was, a, it was a fine movie. Kate, what did you think? Um, Yeah, I've seen the movie a lot of times, just like from when I was a kid, because I've seen all the Adam Sandler movies. They were like a staple in our house. Um, When I was a kid, I really liked it. And then, because I just love romance. Like, I love romance. I don't know if you've listened to the pod a lot, but like, I, if two characters even look at each other, I'm like, oh my god. So, <laughs> I was super into the romantic aspect of the movie. But um, watching it for the first time in many years made me realize how dated it is and how slightly problematic it can be at times as well. But that being said, it's still a really fun movie. Um, 
I cried a little bit. I laughed. It, it was, like, enjoyable. Oh, wait, when did you cry? I cried a few times. I cried, um... Wow. No, I, I'm not lucky. It was mostly... I would mostly cry when I saw, like, Drew Barrymore's distress over not being able to remember, and I just felt so bad for her, and I can't imagine the just the trauma that you'd go through you know waking up and someone telling you like no actually (laughs) you know it's been a year (laughs) it's been a year and I thought she did a good job like portraying those emotions as being like absolutely devastated but then overall because it's a romantic comedy I think the film kind of then took that harrowing thing about her and went but there's this goofy guy and he loves her (laughs) and everything's okay now so Kate, question for you. When you were a kid and watched it a lot, were you watching it start to finish or were you catching it on cable? Oh, we were catching it on like the movie channel. So I, I'm sure I saw it start to finish a few times, but a lot of it was like, oh, we're jumping in here now. And, but I knew the general story. I knew like everything about it. Um, we used to, yeah, we used to watch whatever was on. That was my thing too. Fifty First Dates is like one of the many, many movies that I watched like, I had seen it so many times in so many sections on cable that I had seen the whole movie and I knew everything that happened, but I had never actually watched it start to finish until this week. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will say it works a lot better on cable. Like when you just turn on and you watch the like, there's nothing like a first kiss montage. You're like, oh, this is so romantic. They're so sweet together. Watching it like through the course of the 90 minute movie and having I'm like, oh, they're already doing this montage. That was like a little bit more jarring to me to see how their relationship evolves. Like, honestly, the main thing for me is the first time Lucy has her breakdown and she realizes that her whole life is a lie in the setup, right? They're going to the doctor uh, to, like, have the doctor re-explain it to Lucy and then so Adam Sandler can hear it and also so we as the audience can hear it. Um, And Adam Sandler calls her Luce and she's like, don't call me Luce. I don't even know you. And her dad is like, sweetie, you're sort of dating him. Yes. honestly... Her dad gave Adam Sandler such a leg up by saying that. I know. I would say by that point in the movie, they are not dating. I'm so glad that you brought this up because that was one of the, like, the big things I wrote down was that this happened in two different ways where basically, like, the dad gave him agency over his daughter was when he was like, you're kind of dating, which is like, wait a second, I never heard Drew Barrymore say on screen that they're dating. So why is the dad being like, yeah, you guys are dating? And then I think at some point, like, I don't know if it was the dad or if it was Adam Sandler, but they just go, oh, yeah, like, he's your boyfriend. And she's like, oh. (laughs) I'm like, wait, you never agreed to that. You never agreed to that, Drew Barrymore. Yeah, she's just basically being told, (laughs) like, yeah, you guys are dating. That was my big problem. Yeah. Honestly, this is... This is a rough movie for Marlon. <laughs> Marlon Marlon has a has a rough t- rough go of it this entire movie. Um, can I talk about my my hot? Yes, my I'd love to hear it. I yeah. was workshopping in our, in our group text yesterday. Uh, yeah, this movie is about the tragedy of the American healthcare system. Absolutely, none of this would have happened if we would have had a functioning healthcare system. Like. There would have been a live-in nurse at their little house in Hawaii. (laughs) There would have been a social worker that came by every now and again. She would have been journaling before over a year past. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just don't understand how the dad's best idea (laughs) is... (laughs) 
is I'm we're gonna create this one day from your life over and over and over again. That was the one that was like this is the not just one I'll stick any with. day, October thirteenth, <laughs> which is Kate's birthday. Which is my birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so happy birthday to me and Marlon. The uh journal diary thing that they show her that like explains all of that and that big pad folio thing is also so awful like if somebody was in a terrible car accident don't put photos of themselves being brutally bloody in this journal where you're like oh Oh yeah your whole life is a lie here's a photo of you knocked out in a hospital bed that'll surely make you feel better like (laughs) there's a way to ease somebody into it the video like Oh my gosh, I don't understand how she like reacted well to the videos because well, I think I think the second video that they make like the one where she's already married to him and they have a kid. I thought that one was like kind of nice because it was just like a little bit of an ease in like, hey, you were in this accident, but like, here's who I am. And like, here's our wedding, you know, like that was like, okay. Mm -hmm. But the first one he shows her where he's like, here's everything you missed in a year, and then here's you bloody in a hospital, and, <laughs> and you don't remember this because, and then the music starkly changes. Oh my god, it was just like... Speaking of Adam Sandler, it had the same emotional tonality as Click. It's <laughs> just like, it just turned at one point. Well, I would, I would love to talk about, yeah, like when we talk about tone of the movie too, I would say this is not one of my favorite Adam Sandler movies because I feel like a lot of his movies are like they're either super serious like uncut gems (laughs) or very very funny silly really no high stakes in the game like Billy Madison Happy Gilmore where it's literally like I need to go back to school because I want to take over my dad's company or like I'm gonna be a pro golfer to save my grandma's house right like it's not like anyone you know this felt like the stakes were kind of higher because it's like you're delving into like a severe medical issue this girl whose life is like her quality of life is severely impacted and now you're trying to like romance her you know what I mean yeah and so there's there should be this air of seriousness with it which there is but then at times this the dumbest jokes are just in the script for no reason and the funny thing about that is that apparently the screenplay that so Drew Barrymore originally got the screenplay, like, through Columbia, and the first pass of it was, like, a very dramatic romantic movie. It was not a comedy, but then Drew Barrymore was like, this needs to be the next movie that me and Adam Sandler do together, because they were in The Wedding Singer together, like, six years before that. So she wrote him a letter, and was like, please come do this, and he signed on, but he was like, I'm going to take a pass at the script. And, like, they said a lot of the comedy that came from the movie was Adam Sandler's pass of the script. What? Really? <laughs> yes. That was all Adam Sandler's brand of well, comedy? Most of, most <laughs> of it was, yeah. There was, like, also six other passes. Like, I've heard a lot of people did passes. There was the a lot of passes, but they said that Adam Sandler was the one that first really took a pass at it and was like, we need more comedy in this. I think you can tell, so, too. You can tell. Because it... it, it Right? Am I crazy to think that you can tell that this once was like a more serious movie, but then they just sprinkled in jokes and different characters whose main purposes were to be like comedic relief. Like, Ula is literally just that. I wasn't like particularly a fan of a lot of the jokes in this movie, but I will say I've seen the dramatic version of this movie, which is The Vow, the Rachel McAdams uh, Channing Tatum movie, where like Rachel McAdams gets in. It's not like she forgets things every day, but she basically 
gets into an accident and has forgotten like the last year of her life. So she's dating Channing Tatum, but she thinks she's still engaged to like another guy and is still in love with this other guy that she was with a year ago. And like the whole time Channing Tatum is like trying to convince her yeah. that she's still in love with him. Like how hard is it to convince somebody you were in love with Channing Tatum? I digress. <laughs> it's super depressing. Like the movie is uh, romance heavy. Like I don't think it's a rom com at all. It's just all romance, and it's like just a really depressing slog. So yeah, good call on Adam Sandler's point to add levity to this movie. That said, it's weird the way they do the levity. Like Adam Sandler's character remarks that it is evil to try and date this girl whose memory lapses every day, and then proceeds anyway. to make a bet on whether he can get her every day. Like I'm like these two things are mutually exclusive. But sure, you continue to make this bet because I'm a fan of betting and fun and games. So why not? It's also just a testament to like this movie. Like my reaction to it versus watching it when I was younger versus now. It's just a testament to I think how far the film industry has come with kind of calling out just like jokes that are just not very funny and are just kind of like offensive um like when I was a kid and I watched this movie I thought nothing of a lot of these things but now in this movie I'm like oh wow there's some like gender things that are brought up in this movie that are like not great there's there's the whole question of can this be like considered appropriation in a lot of cases um yeah it definitely I don't think it aged super well with some of the jokes they tried to make that they thought were like, ha ha he and now it's like, mm, that's uncomfy. Uh, does this movie get released in theaters today? Oh, like, is it a streaming movie or is it a theatrical? I feel like it's a streaming movie. It feels like a streaming movie. However, if you look at the star power, yeah, like, if you, I would see this as A Ticket to Paradise, the George Clooney, Julia Roberts rom-com that did have a theatrical play last year. And yeah. I think that if Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler made a rom-com today, in this post-streaming, oh, put, m- putting movies straight on our streamer won't make us millions of dollars world, um, I think that they would push it to theaters for, like, a month, and then it would be on Peacock. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know this is still, like, a long, this is, like, kind of far away now that I think about it. I just, like, 2014, oh my gosh, that's nine years ago. They did do another movie together, and I think that one got a theatrical release, too. So, they're... Wait, what movie did they do? I forget the name of it. I'm trying to find it. I'm on her wiki, and I can't find her fucking, like, they don't have her films listed on her wiki. It's it's funny because Kate was sending me. Uh, she sent me a YouTube video of Jimmy Fallon on Jimmy. They Fallon were promoting that and Adam Sandler. It was called oh, okay because they talk about how every ten years they do yeah a movie together. But honestly, in my head, Adam Sandler's love interest of today is Jennifer Aniston because of um, what the murder mystery movies, obviously. But then also they were together in that movie where he like pretends to be married. Uh, just go with it. Yeah, just go with um, it. They've done a lot. Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston have done a lot together. So it's almost like I love Drew Barrymore. I think she's so sweet and charming. And um, I transcribed an interview with her on Podcrushed. But um, I do think in my head, like, if you're going to put Adam Sandler in a theatrical release with a female co-star, it would be Jennifer mm. Aniston. So they did Blended together in 2014. And I sent you that clip from Jimmy Fallon because they were promoting that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. As as a huge fan. They did not promote it well because we don't listen, know what it is. <laughs> as a huge fan of The Wedding Singer, I just, I do like Drew Barrymore's chemistry with him. But then, okay, this is funny too because then in that video where they're singing to each other in like Jimmy Fallon's show, then he's going like, 
am I better than so-and-so? Am I better than, like, Hugh Grant? Am I better than Jimmy Fallon? And Jimmy Fallon just, like, creeps up with the guitar, and he's like, what? Because they were in Fever Pitch together, and I actually love Fever Pitch because it's a Red Sox movie, so. But I do like Drew Barrymore's chemistry. Fever with... Pitch came out the same year as, uh, as uh, what's it as, called, right? As 51st Dates. It was both 2004, but 51st Dates was released in the earlier part of the year, and Fever Pitch... Before the Red Sox exactly, won the series. Exactly, Fever... <laughs> Exactly. Fever Pitch was released. So if you haven't watched Fifty First Dates uh, recently, in one of the videos that uh, Adam Sandler's characters makes for Drew Barrymore, he's like, here's what you missed in the last year. And one of the things is the Red Sox won the World Series. And then it goes, not really, which is funny because then the Red Sox won the World Series so, that year. Yeah, so in 2003, <laughs> they lost in the playoffs to the Yankees. Um it's actually a super personal story because my mom, <laughs> shout out mom if you're listening, which I know she doesn't, um, she was going through cancer at the time. And your mom doesn't listen to our podcast? Not really. You can yell at her oh, if you want. Um, no, I'm not going to yell at your mom. She was going through chemotherapy for breast cancer in 2003 when the Red Sox lost the, uh, the in the playoffs to the Yankees. And she was just like, I can't anymore. I can't. And I'm like, mom, don't say that when you're going through cancer treatment right now. Like, please. And then... <laughs> The next year they won, and she was telling her cancer doctor, like, I can die happy now. And he was like, please don't say that. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but in Fever Pitch, they filmed everything before the Red Sox won the World Series, but then the Red Sox started, like, winning in the playoffs in 2004. So they actually sent Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon to Game 4 of the World Series in St. Louis when they won, and they were on the field. And literally, 8-year-old me was like, why are they on the field? <laughs> And then I found out why later. <laughs> That's a fun fact. Red Sox fun fact. As an eight-year-old, did you know who Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon were? Um, yes. I don't think when I was eight, because I knew who they were. Because I knew who they, um, I knew who they were. No, not because I'm white, <laughs> truthy. I knew who they were because <laughs> early, earlier that summer, I was at a Red Sox game with my family, and they had us all stay after the game to be like – the whole crowd to be stand-ins because they filmed a scene in Fever Pitch where Drew Barrymore runs across the field to Ooh. go to Jimmy Fallon. So I was like, who are these people, Nobby? And she's like, they're actors, sweetie. And I was like, wow. And then I knew who they were. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very intimate relationship with Fever right, Pitch. Let's go, Sorry. Let's go back to I know. just go with it. I'm not just going with it. Yeah, no, we'll be first <laughs> Fifty first dates. I want to talk about um, Lucia Strauss's character, who plays Alexa, um, Adam Sandler's assistant in the movie. You also may know her. I'm sure. I'm, I think Kate and Colby both watched Ned's Declassified School Survival yep, Guide. I she. Her. That's how I know her. <laughs> but her character is so strange in the movie because they weirdly like don't identify her gender, and so. And at one point in the very beginning of the movie, she, like, basically comes on to him and is like, I'm going to go into my office. I'm going to get naked. Like, you come and hook up with me, basically. And his response to her is, like, I don't think you realize I'm not into dudes. And, like, leaves her there, which at first I was like, oh, is this character a man? But no, it's just a joke. But the joke doesn't work because in the premiere in the beginning shot where you're hearing all of these women who have been wooed by Adam Sandler's character there's also a man there so mm -hmm. 
Adam Sandler has hooked up with a guy unless so obviously true. we know they were just doing it because they're like, ha ha, isn't it so funny that he hooked up with a guy? But the joke doesn't the joke doesn't even work because they're negating themselves. It just frustrated me a lot. So true. I forgot that that happened. They showed a guy in the opening credits. Also, can we talk about how dumb it is that all these like very hot women are like oh my gosh, I met this guy in Hawaii and they're, and they're teasing it up, teasing it up. And then it's like Adam Sandler. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I was expecting like Ryan Reynolds. Like, But I think that if you on? go to like a vacation alone in Hawaii and you just have like a man that brings you to a romantic aquarium and sweeps you off your feet, I think he could look like Adam Sandler and you would still like swoon over it. You know, okay. aquariums are. I guess romantic. you're. I guess you're a little easier than I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hope um, that makes the final cut. Uh, I believe that Alex. <laughs> there's a lot of I think post Cold War still anti Russian bloc sentiment behind that character. Ooh. That like. That's interesting. Hot take. Yeah, I, I think there's some like, oh, yeah, Soviet women are dudes sort of uh, stereotypes going on there is how I wrote read it. There's another example of that in a, a another movie that came out around the same time, Dodgeball, where like the Russian woman on the other team with like the unibrow, she's like considered very manly and strong and like, and then it's like, it's a joke that she gets with one of the other players at the end of the film, kind of. That's a hot take. I kind of agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's just weird because these jokes like aren't like wouldn't have even been funny in 2004 because they just literally just don't even make any sense to me, even with like dated goggles on, you know, hmm. the the director of the movie was interviewed about what happened and he said, we got a lot of comments that there was a lot of gay humor in the movie. And I said, gay humor. I didn't understand what that meant. But I actually think that some people might have bought that she was a man because characters said she was a man and she looked masculine in her wardrobe and how we did her hair. And that wasn't what was intended. She was a woman. But I think it got confusing. Wait, like, what? What do you mean her hair? She had braids. <laughs> I genuinely don't understand that response at all. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Also, like, the first time she was on screen, I was not, like, questioning her gender. I was like, yeah, it's a woman. Yeah. And, like, it's a woman in pants. It's 2004. <laughs> <laughs> like her hair her hair is like pretty and blonde and braided around her head i don't i don't like it was such an unnecessary character and i don't know yeah i, I didn't once laugh at any joke that character made mm-hmm. so it was just like oh here's somebody to be weird and like cut tension and mean to and also mean to because like one of their first interactions is that he did something to make his walrus friend sick and then was like oh go close to his like his mouth so that you can like listen to his breathing and then they like vomited on her and then you find out adam Sandler was like thanks buddy that was great because she (laughs) ate my sandwich i'm like you have some weird revenge issues justice for that assistant is all i'll say yeah um the other character who also doesn't really make any sense to me is ula's character Mm -hmm. who is adam sandler's like hawaiian best friend on the island um Apparently, he's based on a real character. HBF, that Adam as knew. it's known. What'd you say? HBF, as it's known. Hawaiian best friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Apparently, Adam Sandler based this character off somebody he knew. According to Siegel, the director, he said uh, on a trip to Hawaii, he got to know the real Ula. And like that character had also lost an eye and had a bunch of scars for some reason. I guess it was a shark encounter. So it seems like very, very loosely based off of a real person. I just didn't understand again. Like Ula has like is missing one eye because of a shark attack. And like to me, it just looked like, oh, let's let's put a character that is like doesn't look like all of our other characters in this movie to like cause some shock value and interest. But it wasn't. It didn't resonate with me. Like, there was no reason to have all of these characterizations for Ula's character, so it just felt offensive to me. I don't know. What do you guys think about him? I think it really leaned into the lazy, indigenous person stereotype. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. Oh, and I feel like a lot of comic relief characters in this movie are kind of just stereotypes. Like, they aren't full people. (laughs) They're just, like, a collection of traits. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the way they in general represent like all of the people in Hawaii, right? There's like the white people in Hawaii that are like Adam Sandler is a vet, you know what I mean? And like, I guess uh, Drew Barrymore's dad is a fisherman, but like all of the Hawaiian people on the island are service workers or waiters or, you know, so it the doctor is white. Exactly. So it just like doesn't. Which isn't inaccurate <laughs> but not for like the best reason it's like for a bad reason yeah. yeah oh we talked about this before we started rolling but we all had to collectively hold our breaths and look up rob snyder's ethnicity <laughs> because we were afraid and we found out he's like a fourth filipino which i guess it's the worst case scenario would have been... There are some Filipinos on Hawaii, but exactly. he's not Hawaiian. The worst case scenario would have been he's 100% white, doesn't have a drop of Asian blood in him. Then we would have been like, mm. but I guess at least he's, <laughs> you know, not fully white. But it's just weird because all of these, like, the the main plot itself is like, okay, a basic high concept plot about this woman who forgets her memory every night. And then to litter it with all of these side characters that are all so weak, I think fundamentally well, weighs down the And then another thing, because, you know, I said that, like, Adam Sandler was responsible for a lot of the comedy in the script. I read he was also responsible for changing the setting of the script from Seattle to Hawaii. So you can probably kind of guess that. Yeah, he was like, oh, I haven't seen many movies there. And it's like, Adam Sandler, you just wanted to go shoot in Hawaii. Let's I, be real. He wanted vacation. Like, he was like, let's go Yeah, Hawaii. he just wanted to go and on vacation. So that. I mean, I want to go on vacation with Reese Witherspoon in Hawaii, too. Like, I get it. But... So Drew Barrymore? Well, look at that. I mean, I, I kind of. Keep I, it like, in. He's not, he's not wrong when he's like, oh, yeah, not like a ton of movies are shot like are based in Hawaii. Like, yeah, you're not wrong but also like there's not there's not a ton now we've seen a lot more but but, uh, forgetting sarah marshall aloha but i was also like what other movie is set in seattle besides sleepless in seattle (laughs) well it's interesting because you have to pick a location where the weather is basically the same all year round so drew barrymore doesn't wake up one day on october 13th and being like why is it snowing or but it was raining and it was so seattle makes sense but obviously I think it, if you're going to do a rom-com, it makes a lot more sense to put it in Hawaii. Also, Adam Sandler's character of, like, this playboy who's wooing all these women, it makes more sense to woo women who are, like, on, on vacation, vacation in Hawaii yeah. than on vacation in Seattle. You don't think he can 
you don't think he'd be successful in the fish market in Seattle? <laughs> 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 oh my god. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And wouldn't it be So this condition that Drew Barrymore suffers with in um 51st dates isn't exactly real but there are some conditions of amnesia that mirror what drew barrymore is going through most interestingly actually in 2010 some researchers found a woman who depicted similar symptoms to drew barrymore in this movie but honestly thought that it was the movie that was causing her to remember things in this way here's a here's a uh excerpt from the national library of medicine study on this uh, they basically said, like, they did all this study on the basis of her neurological findings together with normal neurological exam, normal MRI findings, and a psychiatric evaluation. They figured out that the subject exhibits a unique form of functional amnesia that is characterization may have been influenced by knowledge of how amnesia was depicted in a popular film. She subsequently improved and began retaining day-to-day memory at Johns Hopkins University. So... I don't necessarily know how having seen this movie would make somebody remember in the same way that Drew Barrymore does in Fifty First Dates, but obviously these people thought that she was kind of using that as a basis for her memory loss, which is bonkers to me. Brains are weird. They're very weird. There are also two other studies uh, where people have a had a similar condition one was this guy who underwent anesthesia for a dental procedure and led to a condition where he could not generate memories past 90 minutes so very similar to 10 minute tom although 10 minute tom also seems a little problematic because they're making a joke out of his amnesia memory and then there was another woman who reportedly got a kickboxing injury and she slipped and hit her head on a metal pole and also would wake up every day believing it was october 15th 2014 um which is terrifying, but I guess these things do exist in real life. Yeah, I am currently on the Wikipedia page for interrograde amnesia, which is the inability to form new memories. Uh, and it seems like unless she had a seizure when she was in the hospital, which is very, I mean, it's not unlikely with serious brain trauma, it would be be unlikely that she would develop interrograde amnesia but i guess still possible that's what i was reading that it was like it's not just a car accident that would do it for you you would have to also like have a seizure or have an event happen to your mind uh to your brain while you're at a debilitated state um but also on a bright side beneficial side there are psychologists who are now using what happens in 51st states as a couple's counseling technique uh Here's an excerpt from an article. A couple of psychologists that I've bumped into over the years say that they use 51st States as a tool in counseling couples to show how much you would do for your spouse or your significant other. Honestly, I feel like that's a little toxic to be like, you should be making a video for your spouse every day to show how much they love them. And if you're not, I don't know what to say about the state of your relationship. I also just don't think you should be like, look at this Hollywood movie and base your relationship after it. <laughs> like, don't do that. Everyone listening, don't ever do. Don't hold Hollywood love story standards to your real life relationships, please. Colby, do you make a video for Carl every night? No, not at all. <laughs> not even close. I mean, it kind of, I mean, hey, I think that last video in the, like the last scene where she wakes up on the ship and like, near alaska or whatever i don't really buy that that video is super new i think like he just plays the same one for like every single day especially because 
I think it must have been a few years old because he's like, we got married. Come up on the on the deck and have breakfast with me. And then she gets up there and he's like, by the way, here's your daughter. I'm like, why didn't you say that? Yeah, he does not mention the daughter or the fact that they are on a boat I know. in the video. So both things would be incredibly jarring to exit your room and realize you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and have a daughter like i just and think, I'm, I'm assuming they adopted or did they just let her no I'm, go through pregnancy and wake up with a pregnant belly must have had her be pregnant i can't i imagine that she just there's no way they make it through the adoption process <laughs> no she can't remember anything well you want to adopt this child but you will not remember who she is every morning okay good to know sure you can have my baby well i just like i don't know it was just interesting that it, earlier in the film when drew barrymore is like trying to break up with adam sandler She's mentioning, like, how will this work? Like, how, what, am I going to just wake up with, like, a pregnant belly and be okay with that? Am I going to, like, wake up with kids? Like, how is that even going to work? And then they just never address how that's actually going to work. They just go ahead and do it anyway. And I'm like, I think if there's one thing this movie downplays when it comes to, like, her amnesia is, like, how honestly terrifying that must be to wake up every mm. morning and... And, and you're like, why am I not in my bed in Hawaii in my dad's house, you know? And then to have to, like, get yeah. all this information. Like, I just don't think the human brain could handle that. Could handle literally you waking up, like, let's say, like, 10 years down the line of your accident and being told in the video, hey, by the way, you're in an accident, you have a husband, you have a kid, we're on a boat in the middle of the, like, of, like, the Arctic, be cool with that and come up, come upstairs and love us and be a family of us. By the way, I met you a year after you had this accident. So like, I knew the entire time you would, can't remember me. Like, I don't know. It's just like, I. It's, it's not realistic, but also I'm like, this is a rom-com from 2004. I'm not saying it needs to be, but I was like, I couldn't stop thinking about it when I was watching where I was like, damn, how is this girl not like fucked up? And I can't, I couldn't stop thinking if that was me, this relationship would fail. It's also the repeat trauma of it all. Like, even if you don't remember having a traumatic event the day before where you were told that your whole life is a lie and a sham, still having to undergo that trauma every day must make your brain, like, not okay to have to deal with all of those emotions on a daily basis, even if you don't remember the emotional overhaul that you had to feel the day before. It's still, like, your whole body is feeling it and experiencing it every day. Like, that's definitely not good. Yeah. But, but like, like I, I was just, I was just thinking though, like, I'm being hard on it. I do genuinely like, like this movie and had a fun time. I'm just like being very picky about it. Oh that. yeah. I mean, also it's a rom-com. Like we understand yes. that we're nitpicking way too yes. much, but that's what we do here on Chaos on the Set. Yeah. I honestly think the emotional logic of this movie works for the most part. Like mm-hmm. the, the feelings logic is there. It's just when you, when the logic logic comes in, it starts to fall apart a little bit, but I, I, think for the most part i felt the things i was supposed to feel when i was supposed to feel them oh for sure do you think it was weird when adam sandler was like i've had 20 first kisses with you for the first time now will you sleep with me oh my god that that whole scene was so uncomfortable when they're like we're gonna sleep together and he's like okay let me just shoo away the dolphins and then he's like then ula comes up and he's like oh god wait ula shows up when they're sleeping together yes i forgot about that they're about to get frisky on the couch 
he shoes the dolphins away, and then Ula just comes up from somewhere, and he's in the, he's like, oh, right, yeah, I don't, Ula's so weird. When they, like, shoot the video, and Ula's pretending to be Drew Barrymore's character, wearing, like, a coconut bra, and starts licking his coke, I was just like, what are we doing here? This is just, that kind of humor wasn't for me. Um, See, and this is where, like, this is where I kind of, uh, this is why I like Wedding Singer a lot better than Fifty First Dates when it comes to their films because the Wedding Singer was like still a rom com but uh, kind of more mm-hmm. classy and let their love scenes and like their romantic scenes just be that without being like here's Ola here's like so and so. Apparently, in the original ending for Fifty First Dates, uh, there was a different ending that they had shot where or I don't know if they shot it, but the director had a plan where they both woke up and this is the direct quote. They woke up in bed together and she had painted a mural or he had painted a mural for her to remind her kind of like the videotape, which if they can wake up in bed together, right, that implies that she starts to retain more memories, which is kind of the interpretation of the movie that I'm kind of or the interpretation of the ending that I'm kind of more leaning towards, which is that like even after Adam Sandler leaves her, she keeps painting his photo like his memory is somewhat still in his mind. So it's not like. At the end of the movie, she's like, now I'm on a boat with a daughter. And, like, some of those memories are still kind of seeping in. But I, I was know. a little confused by that, how it's like, oh, I see you in my dream, so I drew a million pictures of you. I was like, oh, so you, like, yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe she wakes up with him and she sees his face and maybe she's like, I've seen this guy before in my dreams. It must mean something that he's here right now, even though I can't remember him, maybe. And then luckily the dad is also on the boat with them because like if you woke up on a boat with just these two people that you didn't know, a man and your supposed daughter, and we're like, yeah, you live here with us and you've been loving us for the past five years. I'd be like, um, I need to jump off of this boat right now and swim to the nearest shore. I'd be like, I need my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but their poor father now has to go to the, what, Antarctic to do studies on Also, what about... Fish. What about Sean Sean Astin? What about him? Yeah, can we talk about himbo Sean Astin? (laughs) Fantastic. Can we talk about how he went from doing Lord of the Rings immediately to doing this? Well, what's hilarious to me is, uh, as Kate knows, and many listeners of the podcast will know, I didn't watch the Lord of the Rings movie until senior year of college with Mike and Kate. And so I remember when season two of Stranger Things came out, which Sean Astin is in, Mm -hmm. and I made some remark to Mike like, oh, it's so weird to see like the dumb brother from Fifty First Dates in Stranger Things. And Mike was like, what? What? You identified (laughs) Sean Astin as the dumb brother from Fifty First Dates? And I was like, yeah, what else is he in? (laughs) And Mike was so appalled. I think in that moment, he was like, you will not be graduating Syracuse without watching The Lord of the Rings <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe that's what you knew him from first. My first oh experience my with Sean Austin is Fifty First Days. No, that's so bad. Luckily He's to me, a... like now Samwise and even Bob from Stranger Things like hold a bigger place in my heart than this dumb brother. But he, his first, even before Rudy, he was the dumb brother in Fifty First Days. Oh my god, Rudy Goonies. <laughs> like there's so much can... Goonies. <laughs> I just think it's so funny, though, that he, like, immediately after getting off Lord of the Rings, where he played, like, such this, like, emotionally charged, like, important character in that story, he's then, like, I think I want to just play a himbo now, who wears, like, a mesh tank top and talks about having wet dreams. 
and it's on steroids. I love that the whole running thing where it's like he's on steroids. I that was a great joke, and like the doctor saying like, "Hey, you're having all of these problems because you're using steroids." Like, uh, stop. He's like, "Get off steroids. the juice." They kept saying, "Get off the juice." Do y'all think <laughs> that was really funny? Do y'all think they let Dan Aykroyd go to Hawaii, or do you think all those scenes were in L.A.? Because I would I be so mad. <laughs> I, I did read that they did they did do some filming in LA like the house that like Lucy lives in parts of that was LA like some of the interior stuff so I wouldn't be surprised if the hospital the interior hospital was also LA. Well, I have two questions for you guys before we wrap things up. The first question is I queued up HBO Max right to sorry what is HBO I queued up Max to watch Fifty First Dates. And I started typing. The first thing I typed was the five in Fifty First Dates. Guess what's the first thing that shows up on Max when you type in five? Just the number five. The little known prequel, The Fifth Sense. Ooh, good question. <laughs> or good answer. It. I'm, I'm mad that I don't know because I just went on what Shruti uses my family's Max account. So I just went and saw that you'd already watched that. So I just pressed replay from <laughs> From the home screen. <laughs> it is Fifty Shades of Grey, which is funny because Fifty Shades of Grey is spelled F-I-F-T-Y, while Fifty First Dates is typed out, like 5-0, but still Fifty Shades of oh, Grey wait. comes up before Fifty First Dates. Sorry, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. HBO Max be a little kinky with it. Seriously. I mean... Uh, that was... It came right up for me, so I think that might be something to do with what movies and shows y'all have been watching. On, should I watch? Should I watch Two Shades of Grey now? I've never seen it. I have also not seen it, but apparently right. Max wants me to. Um, I know. Okay, second question is in the movie Fifty First Dates, right? Uh, Drew Barrymore gives her dad a VHS copy of the sixth sense for them to watch for uh for his birthday and then they have to watch it every night and pretend they're watching it for the first time which is very funny because drew Barrymore is going to bed that night and she's like i cannot believe it he was a ghost the whole time um <laughs> if you had to pretend to watch a movie with a plot twist or without a plot twist but alongside a family member and you had to pretend every day that it was the first time you were watching it which movie would you select so my first thought was friday and then I thought, do I really want to watch Friday with my family every day? <laughs> I was like, oh, probably not. Uh, I So the two that I landed on were The Princess Bride and Jurassic Park. I'd be cool watching those every day. Ooh. I'm like, my first, I think it's because I'm just riding like the high right now of the Spider-Verse sequel. <laughs> but I, at first I was like, I want to watch Into the Spider-Verse, like the first one. But then I was like wait, I love that movie so much. Do I want to, like, taint it by watching it every single day, you know? So I'm trying to think of one that I like, but would I wouldn't be devastated if I got, like, sick of it. You know what I mean? I mean, you could pick the most rewatchable movie, Top Gun Maverick. That's so true. <laughs> and that's, that's honestly not difficult to fake having not seen it before because it's not like there's a big plot twist where you're like, what? Tom Cruise didn't die? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess Talk on Maverick is a great pick. I think the major thing is it has to be under two hours. <laughs> we oh, can't yeah. Be that is like true. A, no Christopher Nolan. We can't do that like, every day. Maybe like Lilo and Stitch. Oh, get okay. it? Because it's in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> Double meaning. Um, 
Taco Bell Maverick is two hours eleven, so not that not that high over two hours. I think it'd be like a Disney animated like movie from the nineties, like Lilo Stitch, last two thousands, or like Mulan. I love Mulan. Ooh, yeah, Mulan. I could definitely watch every day. Yeah. Um, those songs would probably start getting annoying though, which would be sad because I do love the songs in Mulan. That's true. Well, on that note, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Chaos on the Set, Colby. Hope you enjoyed coming back and hope you'll come back again sometime in the future. But in the meantime, where can folks find you online? Eh, how about a little scavenger hunt? See where you can find like, me. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> if you, you could try and listen back to his old episodes on Chaos on the Set and figure it out that way. Because he may have revealed <laughs> then. But I can't, I genuinely can't remember if he did. It was a while ago. Uh, Kate, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Twitter at Kate underscore Y. I also have a letterbox, but Michael said... If I tried to share it, he would lure a cow into the road when I'm driving, and then I would swerve to try to avoid the cow and then hit a tree, and then I would get short-term memory loss, and then he would just every day just laugh at me about it, and I wouldn't remember that he laughed at me every time, which would be really sad. So That would be really sad. Um, on that yeah. note, you can find me on Twitter at Micromarate. Should I share Mike's Twitter? <laughs> No. Oh, well, yeah, do it because we want to, like, mess with him. We can see if Mike even listens to this podcast, which I honestly doubt he will. I also don't know his so Twitter true, handle, besties. and I'm too lazy to look it up. So on that note, you Wait, can follow. Wait, this is the magic of editing. Hold on. You're going to pull it up. Oh, yeah, I'm going to expose him. Everyone, if you want to follow. Wait, why can't I find it? Did he follow me? Wait a second. Everyone. He also had like if two Twitter oh for a while because he had his like professional Twitter. It's confusing. Yeah, it this is this is a this is a this is a softball, you guys. If you want to follow Mike on Twitter, follow him at Mike underscore Riccardi. <laughs> really hard to find. It's not it's not even incognito. And then you can follow our show on Letterbox, Twitter, or Instagram. On all three, we are at Chaos on the Set.